From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. If you'd like to talk to Father Wade, and who wouldn't? The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and if you are outside of the United States and Canada we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 you can always send us an email openline@ewtn.com or you can text your question to Father Wade text the letters EWTN to 55000 wait for a response text your first name and your question message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Ace McKay is our celebrity social media maven today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Good to be with you for the third time today. Always good to work with you. Our two <laughs> earlier tapings we had for the Catholic Sphere, and I just got word that they're going to air on Tuesday, June 21st, and Tuesday, July 19th, so our viewers can be on the lookout for those two episodes, along with Father Mitch and Colin Donovan, and yourself, of course, uh, leading us, leading the three of us, uh, on the Catholic Sphere on EWTN Television. Beautiful. Um, so, Father... Uh, You've got a lot to say about time for someone who's outside of time and space, huh? Yeah, that's right, because he gives us the time and the space, right? Although he himself, like you said, is outside of it. Regarding Easter and the two periods of time, huh? From a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine, Bishop and Doctor of the Church, St. Augustine says this, Because there are two periods of time, the one that now is beset with the trials and troubles of this life, and the other yet to come, a life of everlasting serenity and joy in heaven, we are given two liturgical seasons, that is, one before Easter and the other after. The season before Easter signifies the troubles in which we live here and now, while the time after Easter which we are celebrating at present, signifies the happiness that will be ours in the future. He goes on, he says, St. Augustine, what we commemorate before Easter is what we currently experience in this life. What we celebrate after Easter points to something we do not yet possess, heaven for all eternity, the beatific vision. Huh? This is why we keep the first season with fasting and prayer, but now the fast is over, and we devote the present season to praise. Such is the meaning of the Alleluia we now sing during this Easter season. So for Easter week, the Easter octave, 
from Easter Sunday through Divine Mercy Sunday. I thought this was a most appropriate reading from a preeminent church father and doctor of the church. He continues, St. Augustine says, both of these periods are represented and demonstrated for us in Christ our head. The Lord's passion depicts for us our present life of trial, shows how we must suffer and be afflicted and die. The Lord's resurrection and glorification, however, show us the life that will be given to us in the future. Amen to that. Now, therefore, brethren, he says, we urge you to praise God. That is what we are telling each other when we say, Alleluia. And a note about keeping the Easter joy alive throughout the year, Jack. Easter Sunday celebrates Jesus' victory over death, sin, and Satan, as we know. In fact, it is the most important event in human history. This joy that Easter inspires can be uh, not contained in just one day. So Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, which he founded, gives us a whole 50-day liturgical season to celebrate it, leading up to Pentecost Sunday. Here are some ideas to to prolong the joy of Easter in a person's life and in their home and with their family and friends. Number one, keep on with a Lenten practice that you know helped you grow closer to God during Lent. For example, maybe with some small sacrifice to honor his supreme sacrifice on the cross. Another example, maybe you can attend an extra mass during the week or perform an act of charity to share God's love with another. But something that you found beneficial during Lent, maybe keep it on, huh? Decorate your house. How about that? Celebrate the victory Christ won for us in your very own home. Display an image of the risen Christ in your home. Decorate crucifixes and or statues with white or gold sashes. Put out bouquets of flowers symbolic of the garden cemetery in which Jesus rose from the dead. One thing that I see a lot of Catholic families do is they decorate a wreath for the front door that is appropriate in color and ensemble and and decoration to the liturgical season. So maybe a beautiful golden white wreath for your front door, huh? somehow decorated in that regard, maybe with Easter lilies or whatnot, and since it is the, the time of season for, for lilies. How about proclaiming the good news? Mary Magdalene was the first to share the news of Christ's resurrection, John 20, verse 17. You can share it too by wearing a cross or a crucifix, by praying grace in your home and in public, both before and after meals, and talking about God's grace to others and imitating his forgiveness toward others, huh? And speaking of crucifixes, just a side note here, why do Catholics display crucifixes? That is with the corpus, Latin for the body, the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ still on it, huh? During the Easter season, why do we do that? Well, we Catholics display the crucifix because it reminds us of Jesus' supreme sacrifice, his supreme victory, and his supreme love for each and every one of us. Let's look at each one of these now briefly. His supreme sacrifice. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us on the cross at every Mass. The moment of Jesus' sacrifice is made mysteriously present again in the sacrifice of the Eucharist in an unbloody manner. The crucifix indicates that the sacrifice of the cross and the Mass are one sacrifice and one only because that Good Friday sacrifice of Christ took place only once. And so the Mass represents again and again, that one and only sacrifice that took place. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1545. Number two, his supreme victory, as I said a few seconds ago. The crucifix may look like defeat, but it is, in fact, a sign of victory. 
Jesus' sacrifice reconciled us with God, reopened heaven to us, and broke the grip of death. Jesus took on death, sin, and evil, and rose again in triumph from the dead. And remember, the book of Revelation is clear. His wounds will be glorified at his second coming. He will have the wounds at his second coming for the general judgment. They, they will be glorified. Huh? And St. Thomas Aquinas says the reason for that is because it will show forth the reality of his passion, death, and resurrection, and his glorified wounds will serve as a visible sign to upbraid those who refused him by their own human freedom. Huh? So his supreme victory. And number three, his supreme love. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, the crucifix shows just that. The crucifix is an incarnation of John 15, 13, if you will. It reveals how precious we are to God. Jesus taught us that true love seeks out the good of the other, huh? Jesus put our good first. He endured the crucifixion so we can be with him forever. So I'd like to invite, Jack, our Open Line Tuesday listeners today to call us and tell us what some of their Easter season practices are. Of course, we're gearing up for Divine Mercy Sunday, huh, which closes officially the octave of Easter. But what do you and your family take on? Or, or maybe you've never taken it on before, but you're planning to take it on, huh? Uh, maybe you're going to take on the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily throughout the 50-day Easter season. And God willing, after that, you'll continue doing it each day, huh? I'm in the midst right now of the Divine Mercy Novena. It begins every year on Good Friday and ends on Holy Saturday in preparation for the Divine Mercy celebration. Maybe uh, you have decorated your home for the Easter season. What are some of those decorating factors you employ in your home? Huh? Maybe there's a white tablecloth now in the formal dining room uh, for, for Easter, huh? and, and maybe during ordinary time, a green one. Who knows? Uh, what are some of your home decorating ideas to uh, uh, revolve with the liturgical year throughout the entire year of Holy Mother Church, but especially during this Easter season I want to know about? Maybe you're taking on day daily mass, huh? Uh, and you're going to go one day extra per week. Maybe you're planning during this Easter season to go on a marriage retreat with your spouse. There you go. Commit yourself to uh, the goal of taking a marriage retreat sometime during this 50-day Easter season, or going on a private retreat, huh? Uh, even if it's not an organized retreat with a retreat master, maybe calling a monastic community to see if they have guest quarters where they will rent out for a nominal fee, um, a guest room or, or, or guest quarters where you can go and just have a few days of quiet time, maybe a Friday through a Sunday. Call us today at Open Line Tuesday. Tell us what some of your Easter season practices are. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free phone call. Wide open phone lines at 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
You know, Prudence Robertson keeps you informed and educated with the latest news and truth on abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, and the culture of death on EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. And we can send EWTN's Pro-Life Weekly directly to your email inbox every single week. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Plenty of open phone lines and all kinds of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. What are you doing for the 50-day Easter season? First up today is Melody, a first-time caller in Seattle, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Um, Melody, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Um, it's been a really nice Easter season. I was able to attend Mass every day except Tuesday. That's the only day our our Father takes a break. But um, we have a wonderful uh, group here at St. Matthew's in Shoreline. Great. And um, I tried to uh, say the rosary in the chaplet after Mass with whoever was willing to stay. Mm-hmm. And um, we started another, there was a book that somebody was passing out. There's a special prayer for the guardian angel of the United States to protect us from future um, attacks. It's called Daily Prayers to Save America. It's the Mantle of Mary Project. Okay, beautiful. And um, it has the chaplet in it, but there's also special uh, prayers in the book to strengthen the guardian angel, because we have a guardian angel of the United States of America mm-hmm. that needs to be t- protected because of the sin of sins of the flesh and the um, sin of abortion. Well, Melody, so, uh, thank you. Oh, oh, go ahead. So we were passing that booklet out, and um, we usually say at least one prayer from the book after we do the chaplet. Beautiful. That's awesome. Beautiful. I'm not familiar with that particular Marian program that you made mention to that includes the chaplet in it, but of course I'm very familiar with the chaplet. Uh, you know, I'm very, very impressed what I'm seeing post-pandemic with a lot of parishes. You know, I just finished preaching uh, several week-long parish missions throughout Lent, and uh, I was so impressed that at all of them, uh, before the daily Mass began, uh, there was always the rosary and or the chaplet. Uh, either one or the other, or one prayed before the Mass began and one prayed after the Mass began. And then also at, at two of the parishes, I saw this on Sunday as well, before the larger Sunday Masses. But uh, even during the weekday Masses, all the parishes had it. So that's just a wonderful, wonderful practice, I think, for a parish is to devote itself to those two beautiful beaded prayers, which I think in today's day and age, with all what we know that Our Lady of Fatima told us about the rosary, and to pray the rosary for world peace, and what our Lord told St. Faustina, that I am giving you this devotion, my daughter, to prepare the world for my second coming. You know, whenever that is, right? Uh, we don't know when it is, uh, but, but we know that it's here to prepare us. Two beautiful beaded prayers to guide us in our, in our foundation, along with sacred scripture, of course, as, as something preeminent in the spiritual life. But those two beautiful beaded prayers, and, and there's something very special, I think, for the parish when the parish prays it. In fact, 
at one of these parishes in Florida. Uh, I was so impressed. In fact, it's the very first time I think I actually ever saw this in all my years of preaching parish missions on the road. The daily rosary was after Mass, and the daily rosary is led daily by the pastor with his people. He leads it after the Mass every weekday, and I just think that's awesome. Uh, it's such a beautiful thing. He, he's there alone. He doesn't have any parochial vicar, no, no associate pastor, uh, or pastors in the plural. He's there by himself, and yet he takes the time after every weekday Mass to pray the rosary with his people, and that shows his fatherhood, his leadership, and it was something truly, truly beautiful to see. So thank you so much, Malady, for your own commitment for Mass every day except Tuesday, given your schedule, uh, but that's such a, a strong commitment that you made, and you were faithful to it, and you were able to lead the rosary in the chaplet, so that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. Now, now think about now, Malady, now that we're in the Easter season, which one of those practices do you think you're being called upon to continue now throughout the Easter season? Maybe you'll continue praying the chaplet. Maybe you'll continue praying the rosary. You probably pray those already daily as it is, but, but uh, maybe you're, you'll make a commitment to pass out uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet pamphlets on how to pray it to people and give it to people. So, you know, think about something you can continue on that was fruitful for you in Lent, as I said during our springboard topic. Uh, a Lenten practice that was, that was uh, fruitful for you that you want to somehow, some way, either the exact same practice or some variation of it, continue on now during uh, the, the Easter season. Thank you, Melody, for your call today from uh, Seattle, Washington. We appreciate it. Still have wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. Pick up the phone and give us a call. We want to know what you're doing for the Easter season or any other question that you might have for Father Wade. 833-288-3986. You said you had a shout-out. Yeah, my, my deacon brother, Lane Menezes, and his lovely wife, Annette, my sister-in-law, they are en route with my niece, Chloe, their daughter. We are all leaving tomorrow, Jack, for the big PA to Mechanicsburg for their son, my nephew Daniel's wedding. He's marrying a Pennsylvania mm. girl there this coming Saturday, the day before Divine Mercy Sunday. So a, a shout out to that branch of the Menezes clan, and looking forward to being with all of them this coming weekend, and a shout out to the bride and groom, Daniel and Nicole. Oh, very good. Uh, you know, Father Wade, I have a, a, a custom that I do uh, almost every Easter Monday. I'm sorry, say that again? I have a, a custom that I do almost every Easter Monday. Okay, well, you got to share this one. I have a feeling this is going to be a good one, so please share it with yeah. everybody who's All, Almost every Easter Monday... I remember that the Divine Mercy Novena started on Good Friday. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. So the next question is, how do you make up to be on the proper day? Do you? Do I, you... I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, Jesus, I trust in you, right? Yeah, there you go. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> He'll make it right for you. 833-288-EWTN. Paul is watching us on Facebook, and he, wants, he said he's trying to get a priest to tell him how a person guarantees their entrance into heaven when their body is done in this life. Well, no one guarantees their entrance to heaven. That is made possible by Almighty God and the individual being uh, faithful to God's call for him as an individual made in his image and likeness. So th there's only one thing that sends a, a soul to hell by its own doing, his or her own doing, a person to hell by his or her own doing. And of course, before the general judgment, the soul goes there, or goes to heaven, or goes to purgatory, to be reunited with its body at the general judgment. So if a person goes to hell, it's by their own doing, by purposeful, unrepentant, mortal sin. 
purposeful, unrepentant mortal sin. To go into heaven means that you have died with no known mortal sin in your soul. If there was mortal sin, it was confessed. If you died with temporal punishment still on your soul, then there's purgatory to do uh, to, as a purgation, because nothing impure can enter heaven. But if you die with the temporal punishment already atoned for, you enter straight into heaven. The body is not to be reunited with its soul regardless of those three places where it's at, um, uh, until the general judgment. And at the general judgment, uh, there won't be purgatory anymore. It will be heaven or hell, right? So the, the, the soul and body are only reunited in either hell or in heaven, not in purgatory. Purgatory is simply a place of purgation, because nothing impure can enter heaven. Uh, number 1847, in fact, I quoted this on one of our earlier tapings today, Jack, if you'll recall, uh, regarding working out our salvation, Philippians 2.12, when, when St. Paul tells the church members at Philippi, look, it is God's will that you be saved. It is not God's will that you be reprobated. A, a nice way of saying damned, huh? It is God's will that you be saved. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we work out our salvation by cooperating with God and his sanctifying grace, which is always, always, always his gratuitous gift. But he desires that we be an active co-worker, co-operator, co-opere in the Latin, uh, to, to work with him, a co-operator, a co-worker with him, in bringing ourselves to a life of grace and putting ourselves on the road to salvation. But the doing is God's, but the cooperation is ours with God. And St. Augustine says in number 1847 in the Catechism, and, and remember St. Augustine, Augustine suffered from a severe lust addict, huh? Uh, a, a severe lust addiction where he tells us all in his confessions. He tells us in number 1847 of the Catechism, he says, uh, the God who willed to create you without you does not will to save you without you. In other words, we cooperate with God in bringing ourselves to and on the road to salvation through his sanctifying grace, which is always his gratuitous gift. And God, may I always, always be faithful to the task. I, I pray that every morning in my morning offering. May I be faithful to that task of working with you, because without God, I can't but without me, God won't. Huh? And so uh, uh, we pray for that reunification, uh, entrance into heaven, where the soul can enter on its own without the body. The soul can enter. It's the form of the body, but it can enter into hell or heaven, or purgatory for that matter, without the body. But then after the general judgment, it is to be reunited with its body, either in heaven or in hell. Great question. Thank you so much, Paul, from Facebook. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Christine. She's another first-time caller in the great state of Minnesota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Christine, what's your question today? Hi, I have a question about um, cremation and being directly um, participating in it. I just recently got a job at a funeral home, and um, they want me to kind of work uh, sometime in the crematory and you know they do they do a pet cremation but they also have humans that they do and eventually um, they want me to train in on that and I'm not exactly sure how I feel about that or if that's something as a Catholic we can be direct participation in that I did some research on the history of why the church didn't kind of allow cremation in the earlier years because of tied to beliefs about the bo honoring the body and the intent of the person cremating or the right. person 
wanting to be cremated. And then I did, we had a priest talk a few years back about how the church really made concession on uh, cremation, and it's really not the preferred thing, but um, it's kind of, we kind of grin and bear it type of thing. So I would like your fuller explanation on that and tell me if, if I'm, um, if there's a problem with me being a direct participant Okay. All right. Great question. First of all, the church does permit cremation, provided it's not done while denying the resurrection of the body at the time of the general judgment. Because if that's the reason why you're getting cremated, to purposefully, with willful intent, deny the resurrection, then that would be wrong. It would also be sinful, because you're denying the resurrection of the dead, which is an element of the Nicene Creed that we pray every Sunday at Mass. And we will come back to this answer when we get back from the break. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please keep our friends in western Iowa in your prayers. This week, Siouxland Catholic Radio is airing their spring pledge drive today. If you're listening to 88.1 in Sioux City or Storm Lake, Iowa, be sure to support those good folks at Siouxland Catholic Radio. And if you're listening on an AMFM affiliate anywhere, support that local affiliate and the work that they do uh, by bringing you the good news via the Catholic airwaves. Shout out to the good folks at Siouxland Catholic Radio in Sioux City, Iowa. We're talking to Christine in the great state of Minnesota about whether or not she as an employee in the funeral uh, home business, can be involved in the activities of the crematory. Yeah, so first of all, answering the question about cremation in general for a a Catholic, okay, as long as it's not denying the resurrection of the the body, and that's the reason why the person's doing it, it, it is permitted. Now, the preference, however, the Church prefers that the body be present for the full funeral liturgy, and the cremation to take place after the liturgy, if that's possible. However, if it is not possible for the body to be present at the funeral mass, having the cremated remains, called cremains, present at the funeral mass is also acceptable there in the urn, okay? But the Church prefers a full-body funeral, if possible, precisely because of what the Church believes about the full-body resurrection. And so, our, our ritual and our um, program at time of death matches what we believe uh, eternally. So there's a, there's a cohesion there, right? It's, it's precisely because we believe in a full-body resurrection, we have a full-body burial. That said, God performs the miraculous, so he can still and will still bring back the full cremains into the resurrection of the dead for those who were cremated. Okay, but this is, I just want to make it clear why the church's preference is why the full body funeral take place. But that's not always possible. Again, the church prefers that the body be present for the full funeral liturgy because of what we believe. Now, as far as you working in a crematory, it's kind of like a good, sound, practicing Catholic, which you sound like you are, working as a pharmacist in a in a in a, a drugstore, you know. You want to make sure that that what you're doing is not contrary to church's teaching, so you always have the right to ask your immediate supervisor that you not 
be doing this or you not be doing that in your pharmaceutical work. You have the right to do that as well here, although it's not as pertinent as saying, uh, handing out contraceptives or, or whatever that, that a pharmacist, pharmacist might do, um, because the church does permit cremation. As far as what what role of cooperation you're taking part because you don't know the the cremated person's intent. Did they deny the resurrection? That's why they told their family they want to be cremated. Well, that would be a very remote involvement. It's not proximate. It's not close. You weren't involved with them helping make that decision. So you're removed from that decision if that's why they wanted to be cremated, was because they were denying the resurrection. You are uh, remote in that uh, decision, so you you have no, no immediate role in it. There's no sin there. That said, if you prefer to work for your funeral director and company apart from being involved with the crematory, then that is your prerogative to ask for that for that concession, and hopefully your your boss would um, would appreciate your religious views and would honor that for you. But there's nothing immediate in church teaching that says you cannot work in a crematory, uh, either because in and of itself it, it's it's cremating full full bodies of those who wanted to be cremated, because the church does permit that in certain instances. Uh, nor would the church forbid it because you're not because you're not involved with their decision as to why they wanted to be cremated. But that said, you have the right to be removed from that if you want to be removed from that. So I hope that helps. Great question. Thank you so much. Especially a great question during the Easter season. Uh, next stop is Long Island, New York. Al is in Long Island, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Al, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Um, we had a tremendous Easter with the uh, church filled on the days, but then there's the days with Easter and Christmas and Palm Sunday where that happens. But uh, we're going to do the Divine Mercy, and I don't want to lose the attendance that we had, and I'd like to get that back for the ceremony, the Divine uh, Mercy. And I'm just wondering if, in your experience, Father Wade, have you seen ways to get that word out in a parish or to a group of people so you can... I mean, I was thinking an insert in the bullet, but the bulletin's going to be taken by the people that go there every week, and I want to get the other attendance. Yeah, it's got to be preached uh, during the Triduum, those going to the Triduum festivities, whether it be uh, the Holy Thursday night Mass, Mass of the Lord's Supper, or the Good Friday Passion, or the Easter Vigil itself, or the Easter Sunday itself, the last two being the most important, because those are the ones where the churches are really full for the Easter Vigil and for Easter Sunday. For the pastor to uh, preach on the octave, why are octaves important, those eight-day celebrations, and why is that important, and and what does the Easter octave end on? It ends on on Divine Mercy Sunday, and what is that about, and how, how can one obtain the plenary indulgence, and what is a plenary indulgence on Divine Mercy Sunday, and, and the other item that differs from that is the extraordinary grace. Uh, I, the, the pastor needs to preach on these, and there is a fantastic, fantastic website that has PDF-ready printable items to be bulletin inserts or as flyers, and the, the pastor can make sure that these get passed out to every adult, 18 and older, at all the, the Easter Masses, and including the vigil, to make sure that they leave the church with this in hand, and maybe spend five to six minutes on your Easter homily talking about the octave and the Divine Mercy celebration and what we're doing here at the parish in eight days, etc. But that, that website is divinemercysunday.com divinemercysunday.com, all one word, 
uh, all lowercase, divinemercysunday.com, and you'll see a whole host of, of PDF documents ready to print on your home printer or your parish printer that can be duplicated, it even says there these may be duplicated to be parish bulletin insert, eight and a half by 11s, camera ready, ready to go. And so people can get to know about the plenary indulgence and how it can be applied to oneself still living or to another person deceased, known or unknown to them, where the extraordinary grace can only be applied to oneself, period. It can't be applied to a, a deceased person. And then the other way the plenary indulgence differs from the extraordinary grace is that with the plenary indulgence, as with all plenary indulgences, you have to have a, a willed, personal willed, uh, intention to want to be removed from all mortal and venial sin, a habitual willed intention to want to be removed from all habitual venial and mortal sin, where with the extraordinary grace, that does not need to be in place. It's great if it is, but it doesn't have to be. This is precisely what makes it a, a quote, unquote, extraordinary grace, huh? So they're, they're kind of similar, the extraordinary grace and the plenary indulgence, but that's the two main reasons how they differ. The plenary indulgence can be applied for yourself, still living, or to a deceased person, known or unknown to you, like the most forgotten soul in purgatory, for example, where the extraordinary grace can only be applied to yourself, period. And the second way the two of them differ, the plenary indulgence and the extraordinary grace, is that uh, with the plenary indulgence, as with all plenary indulgences, you have to have a willed, deliberate, uh, habitual intention to want to be removed from all sin, mortal and venial. It doesn't mean you won't sin again mortally or venially, but it does mean that it's habitual in your spiritual life to want to be removed with a firm and deliberate act of the will from all sin, mortal or venial. Where with the extraordinary grace, that willed, deliberate, habitual intention doesn't need to be in place. This is precisely what makes it so extraordinary, this so-called extraordinary grace that our Lord revealed to St. Faustina. So uh, you want to be able to promote these at the Easter masses themselves with these simple handouts ready to give to people so that they leave the Easter masses with them to want to draw them back eight days later on Divine Mercy Sunday for the Divine Mercy celebration. You make an excellent point. The so-called creasters, uh, those who only go to Mass on Christmas and Easter, uh, the, the creasters, uh, you know, they only come then, and thank God they do, but what about all the other Sundays that are holy days of obligation? So our goal is to help spread the truth uh, in regards to the beauty of Sunday, and uh, the, the good way to begin that is to begin preaching on the octave of Easter and the octave of Christmas, the two great big octaves throughout the, the church's entire liturgical year. But again, DivineMercySunday.com, DivineMercySunday.com, fantastic website. Thank you so much. Appreciate your great question. You know, we've talked a lot today about the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and it is traditionally uh, often prayed at the 3 o'clock hour in commemoration of the hour in which our Lord died on Good Friday. But you can pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy anytime with much right. uh, with much efficacy, and you can do it with us here at EWTN Radio Monday through Friday morning, 5 a.m. Eastern Time. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy is prayed right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Mike in the great state of Indiana, listening on Sacred Heart Radio, another first-time caller. Mike, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Yes, hello. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Mike. Uh, Thank you. I was. Uh, I heard you guys mention, um, you know, how we're made in the image of God. It's kind of mentioned in passing, but um, 
wondering what exactly that does mean. Well, great. Well, that comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And the, the church has always taught from what's culled through the rest of the gospel and what Jesus tells us about the dignity of the human person, coupled with the ancient writers in the written tradition of the church and the oral tradition of the church, of both sacred scripture itself and the writings of the ancient fathers, like, like, like the church fathers themselves of the first seven to eight centuries, what we call the patristic age, because it's the age of the fathers, those that were in closer proximity to the Twelve Apostles themselves and to their teachers, huh? or to their, their students who then became teachers. For example, St. Polycarp, great early church father, was a disciple of John the Apostle. The, the apostle whom Jesus loved, who gives us his New Testament letters, as well as he gives us the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. He also gives us the book of the Apocalypse. So you have Polycarp, who's an ancient writer, a church father, who uh, is numbered among many, many Eastern and Western church fathers. We also look to their writings to coalesce with the Scripture passages from our Lord himself on what is meant by image and likeness. And the tradition of the church, the teaching tradition of the church, is that Image, uh, Mike, refers to intellection, the ability to know, quote-unquote, huh? and the ability to choose based on what we know, pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions, which is part and parcel with virtue and virtuous living, as number 1803 of the Catechism teaches us. And then likeness refers to our ability to partake in God's grace, especially his sanctifying grace, which makes us an actual participator in his own divine life, okay? There's also actual grace that can happen at the spur of the moment, even if a person isn't in a state of sanctifying grace. So, for example, somebody who's in a state of mortal sin and who happens to run into their parish priest at the grocery store, there in his clerics, buying his own groceries— that could be said to be an actual grace that that person received while in a state of mortal sin to hopefully prompt them to get back to confession. Maybe even ask Father right then and there, Father, can I meet you out in the parking lot in 10 minutes when you're done shopping to hear my confession? That's an actual grace. But sanctifying grace is received only when we're in a state of grace, which means no known mortal sin on our soul, huh? So likeness re revolves around the reality of this partaking in God's grace, especially his sanctifying grace, where image refers to our ability to know, huh? Uh, intellection, the ability to choose based on what we know. Again, uh, which leads us to moral, upright living, uh, virtuous living, and virtue, uh, pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'd like to recommend to you, Mike, that you look at number 1803 and that section there that follows uh, on uh, living the life of virtue and pursuing the good and the true and the beautiful. And this is a message for everyone, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're consecrated religious. I, I really teach this, this truth of our faith at, in my parish mission series titled, Work Out Your Salvation. You know, the, the college student, the divorced husband uh, striving to live a chaste life, raising three kids, the homeschooling mother of six, the retired grandparent, the working grandparent, the recently widowed grandparent, the religious order priest, the, the, the diocesan priest, the active nun teaching in the classroom or working at the hospital, or the, the cloistered nun in the monastery with a life of prayer. It doesn't matter. We're all called to pursue the good and the true and the beautiful based on what we know, being made in God's image, to know and to choose correctly, 
through the senses, right? And also to partake in his life of grace because we have chosen correctly. We have pursued virtue and we thereby grow in his grace. The nine great gifts we have in our body-soul compositeness, Mike, are the five bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination. And we should thank God daily for these nine great gifts of the body-soul composite. I've said this many times on Open Line Tuesday before, uh, and this is tied to the doctrine that we are a body-soul composite. St. Thomas Aquinas goes so far as to say that where the angels are non-embodied spirits, the human person is an embodied spirit with a soul, and the soul is the form of the body. So the five bodily senses and the four faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination. Mike, look at my morning offering that I pray every morning. It's found at fathersofmercy.com. It mentions those nine great gifts and wanting, them, wanting us to give them to God daily, huh? And also in our, in our consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus on Fridays. Look up that as well at fathersofmercy.com. A consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Just put, put those words in the search bar there at the homepage at fathersofmercy.com. And then morning offering is the other one you want to put in and, uh, and jumpstart your spiritual life. But image refers to the ability to know our intellection and thus to choose correctly. And then the, the likeness refers to the ability to partake in God's grace. This is why the writings of the church fathers and how they provided their early scriptural exegesis in the earliest centuries of the church. St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, St. Irenaeus, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. John Chrysostom, St. Polycarp, who I already mentioned. This is why the writings of the church fathers of the patristic age is so, so important. Great question, Mike. Thank you. You know, Father Wade, it always brightens my day when we get a phone call from Mary on EWTN's open line. Mary in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is on the phone now. She's listening to Holy Family Radio. Mary, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. <clears throat> Hi, Mary. Thank you for your call today from Harrisburg. That's the diocese I'm heading toward this weekend for that wedding yes. in my family. Yes, I just I just heard that. I'm actually... I'm actually on 283 right now, returning home to Lancaster from um, from State College, where my grandchildren are, my oldest daughter and, and family for Easter. Um, but I am pulled over because I am just compelled um, to speak to um, a very um, a very uh, serious. Um, subject and very close to my heart and and that would be this and and I hope you or other people don't think I'm crazy but um first of all the divine chaplet the the um is a lifeline and I for some reason um feel personally that um that is a special gift to uh sorrowing mothers mm. and by that I mean um the mothers like myself who have an adult child who has um, been, I don't know what to say, attacked by evil or um, who has come under evil influences. I have a, a child for 10 years who has struggled with emotional and mental health issues and through circumstances out of my control was introduced to uh, heroin uh, and has struggled with addictions, has been through 
every kind of hell imaginable that a mother would pray that would never happen to her child. And that includes, you know, having probably broken every commandment, if people want to look at it that way, including my knowledge that this, this, this child has participated in, in terminating a, a, a pregnancy during all of this. And I, I find my heart um, meditating very closely on the mother of, Ju- of Judas, and because I have a special compassion or empathy for her, you know, there were two mothers involved during the crucifixion and the resurrection, and that is Jesus' mother, but Judas also had a mother. Sure, and God created sure. her, and God created the fact that, you know, we all have parents, and we know nothing about her, and yet I feel that I think of this, her holding her dear little son, Judas, when he was born, having no idea that he would be the most maligned person in the history of the universe. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you you make a good point about the the wonderful mercy of God found by praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, huh? And that's where our strength lies. In, in, In the evil of the world, and evil is real, um, you know, we, we want to be able to sustain ourselves by understanding evil and how God can bring good out of it. And for you personally, with, with your own child suffering as they suffer with their mental health issues, and a, a natural implication that might be part of your meditation is that Judas himself suffered from some type of mental uh, uh, stress or instability that might have made him make the, the decision that he did. The fact is, it's a teaching of the Church, as Dr. Anders said last hour and called to communion today, live, just the show before mine now this hour, is that uh, it, it was God's will that Judas, through his free will, do what he did. And so to try to understand it and wrap our minds around it, we have the very, very consoling um, reality of what the Church teaches about suicide, and that's in the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, one of the great uh, teachings out of the Second Vatican Council is that, yes, those who die of suicide can have a Christian Mass, a, a Mass of Christian burial celebrated for them. We trust in the mercy of God, that God will handle it how he needs to handle it, and that maybe the person wasn't sui mentis, of Latin for, of their own mind, when they did what they did in regards to the suicide. And so we, we give that to God, and instead we support and promote the reality of his greatest attribute, according to the Church Fathers, which is his divine mercy. Mercy is who God is, it's love's second name. Huh? God is more interested in our future than in our past, He's more interested in the kind of person we can yet become than in the kind of person we used to be. While indeed taking our sins seriously, no doubt, he never ever takes those sins as the last word. Why? Because he knows he's made us in his image and likeness. He knows he calls us constantly to a life of his sanctifying grace, and he knows he is our God. So you are incarnating through your devotion to the mercy of God and the Divine Mercy Chaplet, a special thought 
process of your spiritual life regarding the mother of Judas. And you're right, we don't know anything about her in Scripture, but you're able to identify with her because of your own suffering regarding your own grown child. And that's that sounds like a, a spiritual life that's really entering deeply into the mysteries of everything that life is about, including evil, and that's a, that's a beautiful witness. Thank you so much, Mary, for a, a, just a, a wonderful call and a beautiful uh, series of statements about the Divine Mercy Chaplet, especially as we approach Divine Mercy Sunday. Thank you so much. Very quickly, we'll head to Mark in Marquette, Michigan, listening on Northern Apostle Radio. Just a couple minutes left with Father Wade. Mark, what's your question today? Sure. I was uh, just trying to find out if punishment from God is directly sent down to earth if we commit sin, any kind of sin. Are we held accountable, and does God directly send that punishment? Or is our punishment just uh, due to the natural consequences of that? Ah, great, great question, Mark. Thank you so much. You know, number 1465 of the Catechism addresses this very question. You, you have to dis- discern between the permissive will of God and the ordaining will of God. God never ordains evil, but he might permit evil. Why? Because he lets things run according to their natures. So if a teenager speeds a lot to show off or to be prideful and show off in front of his friends, and he ends up unfortunately getting in an accident because of the speeding, things end up happening through the course of, of their natural consequences. But God didn't ordain that, that accident of that teenager. God did not ordain that. But in the mysterious will of God, he permitted it, huh? because he lets things function according to their nature, natures, which brings us back full circle to the question of what? Human freedom. Human freedom. So there are four categorical consequences to sin. Sin is always a personal act. It's carried out by the person, even if they do the sin with another person, like adultery or fornication, it's done with another, but it's still a personal sin on both of their parts. So sin is always a personal act. That said, there's four categorical consequences to each and every sin we carry out, whether mortal or venial. There are personal consequences. Somehow you work against yourself when you sin. There are social consequences. Somehow you work against your relationship with others when you sin. Thirdly, there are ecclesial consequences when you sin. Uh, The very body of Christ itself is disrupted. Um, And number four, this is a big one, there are cosmic consequences to personal sin. You want proof of that? Look no further than the Old Testament regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, and look no further than the Old Testament when our own first parents sinned in in the beautiful garden of Eden. We're told the garden closed in on itself, and because you have done this, O man, from henceforth you shall sweat by the toil of your brow. And because you have done this, O woman, from henceforth you shall give birth with the pangs of labor. So four categorical consequences to sin, which is always a personal act, and to differentiate between the ordaining will of God, which never ordains evil, and the permissive will of God, which can permit evil, but never unless a greater good can come from it. Great question, Mark. Thank you so much. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. Thanks to Father Wade Menezes, our producer Michael McCall, and Ace McKay and Matt Kubensky. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless.